Are you a Christian who finds yourself struggling with the same sin over and over again? Do you feel like your life doesn't seem to reflect the resurrection you know to be true? Have you tried dozens of books and techniques only to find yourself discouraged and ready to give up? Well, we've got good news for you. Questions like these inspired our journey into the rich biblical truths we call New Heart Theology. And we believe if you join us in this journey, we'll learn together, we'll wrestle together, and we'll strive together unto godliness. Welcome again to the New Heart Theology podcast, where we talk about, well, New Heart Theology and how that theology aids us in our battle against sin. We hope you enjoy the show. I'm Kevin Lehman, and I'm a certified biblical counselor in Wilmington, North Carolina, and I am joined today by my main man, Grant Forrester. How's it going, brother? Fantastic. Good. Good. I am so glad you chose that word. Today, we're actually, Jason Stiles is going to love it. Today, we're actually going to be featuring Grant on our fifth and final point of NHT, the resurrected, glorified body to come. Grant has been passionate about this topic since the day him and I began exploring this theology together, so we thought it would be appropriate for him to share his passion for this amazing and comforting truth with us today. Now, Grant, I feel like sometimes it can be tough for us to get excited about a doctrine that won't take place until later, especially a doctrine like the glorified body that we can't fully comprehend on this side of glory. Why is this last point so important for Mm -hmm. us to understand even in our lives today? That's a fantastic question. Firstly, it shows us that the bodies that we have now are in need of replacement. Why? Because there must be something wrong with them if we're going to be getting new ones. This has been the point of all that we have taught so far. The body is corrupt, even for the believer. Mm -hmm. This is going to be the battleground for sin, the body that you have, not the body that you will have. Secondly, it shows us that our Creator desires us to have the capabilities to experience Him in our particularly designed way. Meaning He wants us to experience Him as He made us to, spiritually and physically. We have to have bodies for that. Not only mortal bodies, but bodies that can exist with Him in the fullness of His glory. We have regenerate souls, Christ's righteousness, the indwelling of God Himself, all we need in order to exist with Him in our fully human way, the way in which He designed us, are bodies that enable us to physically be in the fullness of his presence without being destroyed. Thirdly, building on point two here, is that it means that God wants to give us all of himself and is preparing us for that experience during this life. Thomas Aquinas called it the beatific vision, meaning that the moment we appear with God, we realize this is what I have been longing for all my life. And then All our desires find their complete fulfillment in God, who is our ultimate end or goal or purpose. This is why heaven is rest and peace, because all of our striving has ceased. To fully have what is meant by the beatific vision, we must experience God to the fullness of our created nature, and that requires physical bodies. The five points of New Heart Theology take us through the narrative 
of a lost man or woman in their natural sinful state through becoming a believer and to their end, which begins with the glorified body. Yeah, man, that was very, very well said. I I know a particular truth you're big on is our completeness in the body, that our souls desire to be united with a body. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that looks like? Sure thing. We see in scripture that we come into existence with bodies at conception, obviously. Mm -hmm. We die and are with Christ, as Paul says, but we are absent from the body for time. Then at the end, whether rapture or final judgment, we receive glorified bodies after Christ's own likeness. Let me prove it. Psalm 139, 13. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This is evidence that we came into existence in a body. David doesn't say he pre-existed or that only his body was being knit together. David says he was being knit together in his mother's womb. This would mean all of him, body and soul. 2 Corinthians 5, 6-10 says, So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Philippians 1, 23 through 24 says, I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh, right, to remain in the body, is far more necessary for your sake. And so this is, this is two passages here where we see in Scripture that we, are, we come into existence with a body. And when we die in this life, we go to be with Christ as believers apart from the body. And then in Philippians 3, 20 through 21, we see uh, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So here's the metaphysical extrapolation from these scriptures. We are designed to be in a body. Watch the logical connection here. When we as humans live outside of God's design for us, we experience dissonance. Something doesn't sound quite right to our souls. The reason we spend any time apart from our bodies at all is as a result of sin and because God must make all things new while maintaining us through his new creative act. Our bodies cannot make it through the destruction of all the material world and the recreation of a new one. So our souls are designed to inform a body, meaning Our souls have their function when combined with our bodies or embodied, meaning we as humans are ensouled bodies or embodied souls, however you want to say it. We are meant to be that way, like a cake. The ingredients are mixed together and baked to make one single thing. So as you can imagine, the experience of being separated from our bodies Mm -hmm. would be beyond anything that we could describe with our senses because outside of the body, we would have none. Right. We are meant for a body. That is, that's how God has designed us to be. 
Yeah, so I think that there's a lot of good explanation in that. And I would say that it's tough to have a conversation about our resurrected bodies without spending some time in 1 Corinthians 15, because it's all about the resurrected bodies. Can you talk to us about the relevance of this passage and maybe walk us through it, take us through it a little bit? Like, what is what is your perspective on that passage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly right. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 58, at first, and I know that's a big passage, but at first glance, it seems like it would cause us some problems. And maybe you're not aware of it at all, but it's, it's, it's an exposition by Paul on the nature of the glorified body. And so at closer look, it adds to the beauty, the wonder, and the mystery of our future hope in this, this glorified body. Uh, I'll read the whole thing. And while I read, see if you can spot any verses that might sound like something that we're not saying. I'm telling you that we're going to have physical bodies. Listen to see if you can find anything in this passage that would raise questions for you. So I'm going to start in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen. I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, Then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So what can we gather from this? Will we be spirits and not physical beings? That's kind of what it sounds like. 
Yeah, because he says spiritual body, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. And he says that Jesus became a life-giving spirit. And so this is, and I deal with this with my students all the time when I start talking about a body in heaven and they say, well, wait, Mr. Forrester, I thought heaven was a spiritual place where there, where there aren't going to be any bodies. I thought I was going to be an angel. You know, and we hear things like that all the time. You know, heaven has gained another angel. And these are these are gross misunderstandings of personal eschatology. These are gross misunderstandings of what happens to an individual the moment that they die. And so you will be a spirit for a time, and we've touched on that with a with an earlier episode, and we're gonna touch on it in just a minute. But you are going to have a glorified body if you are in Christ. And so Paul is not saying that we will be spirits in the new heavens and new earth after the judgment. He's saying that we will have physical bodies. We will be physical beings. And so Paul is contrasting this natural physical body made from dust to the supernatural or heavenly physical body made for us by Christ after his own likeness. We are all right now after the likeness of the first Adam. But after the resurrection, we will all be like the second Adam, Jesus Christ. And so why does he use language like spiritual body? Because like he says in verse 51, he is describing a mystery. He has been with the risen physical Christ, even after Christ's ascension to the Father, which I could not begin to really conceive. It's crazy to think about. Paul has experienced what this Christ's physical form is like, and Paul is trying to describe it for us. He's trying to teach us that we will one day be like him. Paul is not saying we won't have bodies, far from it, but he is expressing just how different the glorified bodies are from the ones we have. The word spirit that he uses here is pneumatikos. And this word could also mean supernatural or regenerate. And so Paul is not trying to say that in heaven, we're going to have things that look like bodies, but are actually Casper or a chubby angel with wings and a harp. Let's look at one other example from Paul that can help us interpret what he's getting at here. Philippians 3, 20 through 21, which I just read earlier, says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition. Okay. So our body that is in the image of the first Adam, dust. Right. right. And he will transform us into the likeness of his glorious body, the second Adam, by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Wow. If we are going to have a body like his, what would that look like? Well, we can look at the post-resurrection accounts, his appearances to his disciples to glean some things. And I have two examples here. And so I have uh, both of them from, from John 20. And so John chapter 20, verses 25 through 27 says this, but he said to them, if I don't, this, this is Thomas speaking to the disciples because he doubts that Jesus is back. And Thomas says, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, so seven days, a week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here 
and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. And so Jesus is standing in the room physically. How do we know he's physical? Because Thomas just stuck his finger out and touched the holes in his hands and put his hand in his side. Right, right. Now, Thomas exclaims after this, my Lord, my God. And he knows that this is Jesus. And he just stuck his hand, his physical hand into Jesus's physical side. Okay, John, we're backing up some. John 20, 15 through 17 is when Mary Magdalene encounters Jesus at the tomb. And so supposing that Jesus was the gardener, Mary replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus says, don't cling to me since I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. And so in both of these instances, Jesus is physical. In the first one, Thomas sticks his hand in his side. And in the second one, Mary clings to him. She grabs him. But what's interesting about the story with Mary is that Mary did not recognize him. Mary spent three years with him. And here he is after being dead. And she doesn't recognize him at first. She assumes he's the gardener. And then he calls her name, which has a lot of theological import. He calls her by name, and then she recognizes who he is. So our new bodies will be like Jesus's, as Paul says in Philippians 3. And Jesus, with his glorified body, did some amazing and supernatural things. He ate with his disciples while also having a hole in his side that Thomas could stick his hand in. He wasn't bleeding out of, his, out of this hole in his side or the holes in his hand either. He walked through locked doors and seemingly translocated at will, going just appearing at this place and appearing at that place. Lastly, something mysterious was about his appearance so that Mary Magdalene didn't immediately recognize him after he rose from the dead. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit of Christ, is helping us understand the vast difference between our bodies doomed to die and our bodies of heaven that will never perish or suffer. And these bodies will be after the image of Christ's glorified body. Okay. That was actually even better than I was expecting. So Amen. well done in First Corinthians 15. That's a, that's a really tough passage to work through, especially when you're trying to teach with, incredible, with an incredible amount of nuance on a show like this. But I really appreciate what you did with it. We've looked thoroughly then at what Scripture tells us about our glorified bodies to come kind of a last question for you here, buddy. I know you've been talking for a while. What are some things we know we can expect? Like what will our our new bodies be like? Yeah. Our new bodies will be like Christ's, the second Adam. They will be incorruptible, immortal, heavenly bodies. But even though that sounds so different to us, we will still do a lot of the same things. Jesus shared meals with his disciples. He related to them. He continued to love and shepherd them. He continued to teach them. He continued to perform miracles. He continued to be the same Christ that he was before he died. In heaven, you will still be you. And that's very important. Even though your body will be greatly changed in the twinkling of an eye, like Paul says in First, uh, 2 Corinthians 15. So suffice it to say, these glorified bodies seem capable of some incredible and mysterious things, but you will not lose who you are 
in these new bodies. But the most important aspect of this new body is that it will no longer be consumed by sin and unrighteous passions. So in closing, here is what this means for the believer as he or she fights sin today. You won't be doing this forever. Your mortal life and your sin have the same expiration date. Hmm. Let me say that one more time. Your mortal life and your sin have the same expiration date. That's a great statement. While you are in this life, you have God himself within you as your companion. You have a soul that has been made alive and capable of subduing the body. And one day Christ will raise us from the dead and we will be whole and with him in body and can embrace him Hmm. and see him with our physical eyes and hear his laugh and marvel at his voice. The one voice that we all long to hear and yet is the same voice that his sheep know all too well already. We will finally be free from our striving and be home. And so remember this. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is given to you. You do not have to earn the victory. It is given to you through the accomplishment of Jesus Christ. Therefore, my my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So we fight sin with hope and joy because whether you believe it or not, fighting sin fills the believer with joy just as much as contemplating the future life and glorified body gives us hope. So we fight sin with hope and joy in our new and beating hearts. It is not in vain because of what God has in store for us. One day we will finally be free from our striving and be home. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, Grant, this has been, as you like to say, fantastic. We didn't plan it this way, but what an opportunity to get to record this episode on the Wednesday after Resurrection Sunday. So we've already celebrated Christ resurrecting in his glorified body, and then we get to talk about how that sets the precedent for our glorified bodies to come. So pretty cool that it worked out that way. I feel like this has just been a, a very appropriate way to close out our five doctrinal points. Just to give you an idea of what to look forward to, we have four more episodes we want to do as part of our first season, which we're calling Foundations. In the next episode, I'll be doing a biblical theology of the new heart. So tracing it from the old covenant to the new. And then we'll do a short episode on why this isn't Gnosticism. And that will be followed by an introduction show on the mind. And then we'll conclude the season with an introduction to spiritual warfare, which is one you definitely won't want to miss. 
We are truly grateful for all of the support and encouragement we've received so far. We had no idea this little show would garnish the response that it has. We're blown away by the way God is using the truth of his word to change lives. Please keep the encouragement coming. Keep the questions coming. We love it. You can continue to support us by leaving honest five-star reviews, subscribing to the show. And of course, we love it when you tell a friend about us. So thank you, thank you, thank you again for all of the support. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, please feel free to hit me up on Twitter or Instagram. My handle on both is at Kevin Lehman. So thanks for listening and God bless.